Cool. Um, we'll get into the scripture in a minute, but I do just want to prep it um, by looking at a couple things. Uh, who knows that we swim in a sea of culture, whether you kind of realize it or not. There is an air that we breathe. There is a cultural moment. There is a, a sense of this is the world in which we live, and we're affected by it in ways that we don't often know. Um, it's kind of like, I just thought of this now, but it's kind of like those, um, the pink birds. What are they called again? Flamingos. There we go. Uh, it's kind of like the flamingos. You know flamingos aren't born pink. They actually get pink by what they eat. And if they stop eating that thing, they, they actually, their color fades. And it, so we're like that a little bit. We absorb that which we eat, that which we drink, that which we breathe. Um, and our culture shapes us, whether we know it or not, which is why it's important that we're shaped by the Word of God and by the truth. And there's a few things um, that I think we're being shaped by in our culture that we need to pay attention to as we look at Hebrews 5 and 6. So the first one of those is that our culture and our technological advances, the, you know, we live with technology in such a seamless way, um, we need to pay attention to the way that it conditions us to expect quick results. Um, you know, Research has indicated that our ability to defer gratification, in other words, to hold out and wait to receive pleasure or the thing we want, is at an all-time low. So they've, they've done incredible studies. You guys are probably aware of some of this research. Um, there's a funny example. When I was a kid, we used to have to like, make appointments to watch TV. It wasn't like you could just like, pull up your favorite thing and watch like, a season of it. We actually, like, the Cosby show was on every Thursday night at 7. And, like, you had to make an appointment. Or MacGyver was every Monday night at 8. I'm just picking up two of my favorites. Fresh Prince was Tuesday night. I'm just so, you know, it's my childhood. <laughs> it's the air that I breathed as a kid. But, um, you know, we had to actually, like, set aside what we were doing. And we looked forward to it. It's like, it's Cosby night or it's Fresh Prince is on. There was this sense of anticipation. Um, and, you know, if you missed an episode, it's not like you could just be like, dial it up on the computer and like pick up where you left off. Like you literally had to wait for summer for like the reruns to start showing. I, have, I, I need to come back over here by the camera. I'm such a roamer. I'm just like, hey. Um, I'm a little bit like Dory from uh, Finding Nemo, <laughs> um, as you'll find out. So, hey guys, sorry if I leave you once in a while. I'll come back, I promise. Um, <laughs> So, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, squirrel. Um, so, we, th it was this issue where we, we had to catch what you were going to catch. There was, there was no convenience with it. Um, and, and if you missed an episode, you were donezo. Like, you just missed that one. And, like, you hope that you saw it on after-school reruns one day or something like that. But what was awesome is in the early 2000s, this thing called Netflix came out, and it's not the Netflix that you know, it's the Netflix where they mailed you a DVD. And this is where my wife and I discovered this amazing thing, I don't know if it's amazing anymore, but this wonderful, terrible thing called binge watching, and we cut our teeth on Battlestar Galactica, one disc at a time. And it's funny, if any of you ever watched Portlandia, that, that old, yeah, so there's this amazing skit in Portlandia where the couple does exactly what I'm saying, and I was like, we were that, we did that, but anyways, we would, you know, there's like five, six episodes on a disc, and we would like go hard on those when the kids went to bed, it's like, it's 7.30, it's Battlestar Galactica time, and we would watch episode after episode after episode until the disc was done, and then we had to mail the disc back. 
And then they would mail us another one in which we got to watch another six episodes. It was amazing. And then we discovered this thing um, called the second or the advanced tier of Netflix where they send you two DVDs at a time, not one, but two, ladies and gentlemen. So you can watch not five or six episodes, but 10 or 12 in a row. It was a whole new world for us. Our patience was dwindling even as we were doing it. And then a couple years later, this amazing thing called streaming came out where magically Battlestar Galactica was delivered to us in zeros and ones and turned into moving pictures on my television. And I'm out of breath because I was so excited and I haven't breathed for a couple minutes. But somehow, we got through eight seasons of 24, seven seasons of Lost in about six weeks, which left us with five needy kids, four hours of sleep, three pounds of gained weight, two weeks of catching up to do, one marriage looking for another show to watch, and zero patience. And apparently, we're not alone, because all of you sleep with your phones. You can't wait for the morning to get your messages and to read them and to respond to them and see what somebody said and comment. Not all of you, but 60% of you. Three out of five, raise your hands. I don't know who you are, but it's fine. Um, and we have Amazon Prime delivery. We're like, for 99 bucks a year, well, it's whatever, 200 now, but two-day free shipping. Two days free shipping? That's like a miracle. Then they introduce same-day shipping. I'm just like, I don't know how they do it. They are using slave labor for sure, but I'm still doing it. I need that pack of pens like next tomorrow. And now, yeah, obviously, they're like beta testing drone delivery in within an hour. All this to say, guys, our capacity for waiting has dwindled. And if you're paying attention to yourself in your own heart, you'll know that when you're waiting for something to load and the internet's terrible, or when the thing that you're waiting for doesn't come in, we have an inability to wait. Um, we need to pay attention to what we're conditioned for. One researcher said this, instant gratification doesn't grant long-lasting satisfaction. Its entire purpose is to substitute the deep pleasure of earned enjoyment, or read gradually accumulated enjoyment, with the fleeting pleasure of instant enjoyment. Now, we don't have time to go into the brain chemistry of all of that, but if you look into that world, which I have thoroughly, you'll find that we're being conditioned like sugar or cocaine to expect the next best greatest thing as quickly as possible. And it is a never-ending feedback loop of quicker now, quicker now. On top of this, another thing we're experiencing in our culture today is widespread just giving up. People are giving in. You see it all the time. I just can't anymore. Um, there's a widespread sense of people leaving the faith and leaving the church. There's incredible sense of despondency, of, of, be, of hurt, of, of trauma in church situations, of expectations not being met, of I just don't get this anymore, of this isn't working for me anymore, or all the investment that I'm making and I'm just not seeing growth. I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I don't know, the world's not changing, what's happening? I, and people are losing heart. We're seeing things like suicide and hedonism, which is just another way to say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's no purpose. Let's be comfortable. Let's enjoy life, Netflix, and chill, and check out and hope for the best. People are giving up. And if we're honest, I think we'd all say that there's moments where we felt like giving up. I know that there, there have been for me. 
Um, this is the culture that we're in. And the book of Hebrews, written 1,900 years ago to a scattered group of Jewish Christians, has so much to say to our day and our age and our hearts. And so we're going to pay attention to that now. So Hebrews 5 and 6, if you want to open your Bibles, that'd be killer. If you want to throw it up on the screen, that'd be even better. If it doesn't show up, don't fret. You'll just listen to my soothing voice. We're going to start in uh, verse 8 of Hebrews 5. Although he was a son, we're talking about Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. I love how the author is honest. Um, it's hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Into chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Jump down to 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you might not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. We're going to jump down a couple of verses. It is impossible for God to lie. And we who have fled for refuge, remember they're refugees, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we won't get into Melchizedek today. That is someone's job next week. Um, praise the Lord for that. Um, but there are a few things I want to pull out of this passage, um, so if you've got a few minutes to keep your attention up here, that is amazing. I'll try to have some of this stuff up here to help out. Um, but this passage has a lot to say. The, Hebrew, the book of Hebrews has a lot to say, but I feel like there's certain themes that just keep coming through. No matter what the author is writing, the themes keep coming through. And the first one is this. Cue the slide. Maturity is God's intention and promise. 
Now, we live in a culture that idolizes youth, and so this, this again, is not native to us. We are not native speakers of maturity being something we value a lot. We value youth, we value energy, we value beauty, we value really big gifts, we value, we value lots of money, but what we often don't value is maturity. Um, this wonderful thing about God is that He doesn't just start stuff. God finishes things. You know, we'll read later in Hebrews where it says He's the author, the starter, and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. I'm, I'm not so much a finisher by nature. I'm a heck of a starter, though. Like, I can start stuff. Like, I can start businesses. I can start programs. I can start ideas. But following through on those and finishing them is quite a task. It requires something that I don't have by nature. I don't know, some of you, is, any, is anyone a starter in here? Does anyone like love starting stuff, but like not amazing at finishing it? Yeah, um, thanks, I'm not the only one. Um, my wife knows this very well. Um, the poor thing has had, the poor woman, she's not a thing. The poor woman has uh, endured my ability to start and my difficulty to finish for 22.9 years now, and, um, and she's lovely because of it. I'm sure God's used me to mature her. Isn't that kind of God to, to do that? Um, but thankfully, God's not like me in that way. God is a finisher. Um, creation's a great example. God just didn't stick man in a garden, and he was like, cool, look what we did. That's it. God didn't just start something and say, yeah, 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 just, you know, whatever, keep going. God is intimately involved with his creation, and he told Adam and Eve, go into all the world. He didn't say, like, just stay here in one spot and don't do anything. He actually gave them a job to do, which was to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, and to cultivate it, to bring out everything good in it and bring it out to its completion, to build cities, to build infrastructure, to create human flourishing across the earth. God didn't just start something. He set us in motion with an assignment, and He's intimately involved to complete it. So God is a finisher. He's a maturer. Maturity is important to the Lord. Like, let's look at Jesus. Look at that 5, uh, 8, and 9 scripture, uh, chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. It says this shocking scripture where it says Jesus learned obedience through the things that He suffered. I just feel like every time I read that, I'm like, yeah. like Jesus learned obedience? Like, what? I thought he came out of the womb, like, good to go. Like, Jesus came out of the womb, like, the fully functioning Savior, like, the fully operational Death Star, like, the one that can just function from day one. But no, uh, the Bible teaches us that Jesus had to learn obedience. And how did he learn it? Through the things that he suffered. He learned it through the challenge, through the difficulty. Jesus learned it through growing up. He learned it through maturity. And it says this, and being made perfect. I mean, when we're talking about Jesus, talking about perfection is not hard to imagine. But when talking about you and I, it gets a little more difficult to imagine. But the thing is, friends, is that God wasn't just talking about Jesus. He's talking about us. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And it says when he returns that we'll be just like him. God has a plan in mind, and it is to mature you. It is to grow you up. It is not to live some 
always a child life, some Peter Pan existence of play and carefree and sit back and watch. God is intimately involved in calling all of us to action and to maturity. That word perfect, and I'm not going to go all Greek scholar on you like crazy, but we'll just do like not even 101 level. We'll do 01 level. We'll just do like so that, that word perfect, Jesus being made perfect, is the Greek word telos, T-E-L-O-S, telos. And um, that word uh, obviously means to be made perfect, but you know what else it means? It means to bring a process to conclusion, to complete something, as in a race, to finish. It means to bring to full strength and to full capacity usefulness. It means to mature in a simple English word. It's easy to remember this if you think of like a pirate's telescope, you know, where they're like, ah, and then it's like, you know, they pull out the thing. And it's called a telescope because it, it teloses. <laughs> it expands to a finish point. It, it matures, if you will. It grows to a point where it finally finds its usefulness. A telescope all mushed up, I think, would probably be blurry. Haven't tried it, but it's probably what happens. Anyways, um, But if you pull that telescope to its full limit, to its completion, to its perfection, it's useful in the hands of the pirate holding it. Um, If Jesus required learning obedience through suffering, I imagine that that might mean something for you and I. I imagine that that might speak to the reality of challenge and suffering in our lives. It might speak to the reality that life is not easy and never is and never will be it might speak and hint to us that we might be perfected by the things that we suffer as well. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, hey guys, listen, I know life is hard. I know you want to give up, but giving up is not an option because God wants to bring you to maturity. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) There's that familiar James 1 passage that picks up this idea In fact, he uses the same words a couple times. You guys will remember this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is another arresting scripture, one that makes us stop and go, wait, what? Whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy? I don't understand. Well, he goes on. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And we need to let perseverance finish, or teleon, finish, telos, same word, its work so that you may be mature, teleoi, same word again. So we need to let perseverance finish its work so that you can get finished, so that God can finish you, so He can complete you, so that you're mature and complete, lacking nothing. Again, the the author to Hebrews, we mentioned it already, but in Hebrews 12, that great passage that says, And we lay aside every weight and hindrance, and we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter, the teleiton of our faith. Same root word again, the finisher, the perfecter, the one who brings us to full capacity and full usefulness. Now, some of us are still in an infant or toddler stage in our walk with God, and that is completely okay, because some of us are newer in our faith. Some of us have just recently been born again. We've been added to the kingdom of light and pulled out of the kingdom of darkness. And some of us have been left in a state of immaturity by our circumstances or by our lack of cooperation. 
And God wants to call us further. It is okay to be right where you are. It is okay to be right where you are right now. God is accepting, He's kind, and He's generous. But in His generosity, He wants to give to you. He wants to fill you. He wants to mature you. He wants to extend you like a telescope reaching its full usefulness. God wants to extend us all. Can you cue the next slide for me? The next thing we learn from this passage is that we inherit the promises of God, and we already learned that God's promise is maturity, right? We inherit God's promises, including maturity, in all the other things you believed He's promised you. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. So all those wonderful Old Testament promises are true eternally for us. But we inherit all of those through faith and patience. Faith, okay, faith is not in, in uh, what we're talking about here, some televangelist, bombastic, I'm believing God for a private jet kind of faith. I'm not saying that's completely wrong or there isn't some place for that somewhere. I'm just saying that that is not a helpful everyday usage of the word faith. I like to look at these other uh, descriptions or these other definitions for the Hebrew and Greek words for faith. Total trust, absolute dependence, to wait on, to hope in, to believe with everything, to be assured and convinced of His promise and His greatness in the face of very painful, dangerous, and an uncertain life and world. I know that's a mouthful, but these are the kinds of things that the author's trying to provoke in us. When they say faith and patience, he's not saying private jet. He's not saying new pair of vans. He's not saying dream car, although those are fine. Those are fine. Don't shout me down and say, but I'm believing for a private jet. It's fine. You can believe for a private jet. But what we're talking about now is the kind of elemental trust in God that transcends all of our hopes, desires, beliefs of any other kind. This is the I have no other option kind of faith. This is the I am all in kind of faith. This is the double down, I'm putting all my money on the table kind of faith. This is the if God doesn't come through, there is nothing else. That is what we're talking about when we say we inherit the promises of God by faith and patience. Bonhoeffer wrote it this way, participation in the suffering of God in the life of the world, and in doing so, we throw ourselves completely into the arms of God, taking seriously not just our own sufferings, but those of God in the world, watching with Christ in Gethsemane. That, I think, is faith. Bonhoeffer was tying something very important to this idea of faith, and that's that faith almost always requires a challenge for it to be really seen. Faith almost always requires opposition for it to be noticed. Faith almost always requires suffering for it to be exercised. We do not live an easy life. And if I interviewed every single one of you, I could find out why your individual story is tough, why walking with God feels impossible, why you feel like you've lost heart or feel tempted to. But this is the place where faith in God meets our souls. This is the place we're talking about. We need to depend on Him.
We need to trust Him, to hope in Him. Patience, to move on from faith, is not a very sexy virtue, if I can say it that way. In fact, next to chastity and contentment, it's probably in our culture's three least wanted list. It's like the things nobody wants. You know, nobody wants patience. For some reason, weird Christians say don't pray for patience all the time. I think they're insane. You should pray for patience. Let me just clarify again. You should pray for patience. Hard times are coming whether you ask them to or not, just to be clear. Um, But it's interesting that it is a primary character trait of God. So we don't think of patience as like, oh yeah, when we're worshiping, we're not always like, God, you're so patient. We're usually like, you're amazing, you're powerful, you saved me in freedom. But one that we don't often say, well, I'll speak for me, one that I don't often say, but I'm learning to say more and more is, God, you're patient. When God introduces his glory to Moses, think up on the mountain, away from the people. Moses asked to see his glory. The Lord does this. He says, he introduces himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord. And he's saying, Yahweh, Yahweh. I am, I am. Compassionate and gracious. Patient, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. I think the, like, sixth word that God uses in describing himself after he uses his own name twice. So the fourth word after he says, hi, my name is God, is patience. God is primarily patient. And I love Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. You could all probably recite most of it, but I think we just gloss over the fact that the very first thing that Paul says love is, is patient. And we know that God is love. We know that God equals love, don't we? And as we're defining God in that way, by defining love, as God allows himself to be defined in our mind with words, the first word that he uses to define himself and his primary characteristic, the essence of his being, is patient. I know there's not a lot of parents in this room, but if you are one, you will know that without patience, you cannot raise children. And God knows this because he's God, and God says, you are my children, you will mess up all the time, but guess what? It's okay, I'm patient. And um, we see in Proverbs 16 a pretty familiar verse on patience describing it. It says, better a patient man than a warrior. And again, we, we love the big, strong, gifted one, but I love this translation that says, patience is better than power. Isn't that good? That'd be a good t-shirt, yo. Um, patience is better than power. And by practicing patience, we become more like God. And He's in you. You're meant to be like Him. You're meant to act like Him. Guys, we are playing a long game. We are not in a short run. I I know that, again, it can be somewhat uh, of a meme. It can be somewhat of a saying that we throw around that life is a marathon, not a sprint. And I'm always like, yeah, so true. And then it's kind of like, have you ever tried running a marathon, though? And I I haven't, but I have friends who have. And I've gone to cheer them on because I'm a good friend. But I can tell you that what they do in that race looks more like my life than when I used to run the 100-meter dash in high school. It looks way more like what life looks like than that. We don't play the long game very well. 
Uh, again, I mentioned it earlier, but we are addicted to instant gratification. If it doesn't come quickly, most of us opt out. And God's calling us to something else, guys. We are following biblical examples who played the long game. You look at Abraham, who was promised children, and it was decades. You look at David, who was promised a kingdom, again, over a decade. In fact, it was just one battle after another trying to inherit what God had for him. And David inherited his throne, the promise of God, by faith and patience. He didn't take it by force. He could have. He chose not to because he knew that that wouldn't please God. Look at Joseph. At 17, he's giving these grand dreams to rule over his brothers and the nations. And like, what an assignment. What a call, right? Like, amazing dreamer. It was at least 13 years before Joseph got to see any of that. And he's enduring prison and slavery and beatings and imprisonment on his way. Guys, we are playing a long game. Most of you, I'm very aware, are younger than me in this room. And I'm not saying that to be condescending. I still feel like I'm your age. I probably told lots of you that. I don't feel like an old guy, although, you know, I am. Um, but, I, yeah, super old, yeah. But I, I don't feel like one. Unless I'm playing soccer, Jake Tirabasi, then I feel old. Um, you know, or my kids are like, hey, have you heard of this artist? And I'm like, dang it, I haven't. I haven't kept up. I haven't, I haven't heard of them. They sound amazing, though. I love that we've transitioned now to my kids showing me good music. It used to be the other way around. And I love this now. I'm playing the long game. I invested into them how to have good taste in music. And with the exception of a couple of their affection for country, um, they did a good job with that exception. Um, so now my kids show me music, and I'm like, this is good. Good taste. Good job. Peyton, Mercy, Madeline, wherever you are. Sam, your day's coming soon. Um, Micah, you're out there somewhere over the internet. Ones and zeros, hi. Um, but guys, we're playing a long game. Just to be quick, um, in my own life, uh, I've received promises from God, and maybe many of you have as well. When I was young, God spoke to us about going to the nations. Shelly and I just knew prophetic words. It was in our own heart. All the stuff confirmed before we were ever married. We get married, and we're like, this is it, guys. We are going. Shelly and I, we're getting married. We're out. Like, tomorrow, we're going to the nations. We're going to live in Africa. It's going to be amazing. Um, we're going to adopt 37 children. It's going to be super cool. The gospel is going to go. And guys, it, I, we lived in Wisconsin for the next 20 years. Two decades. Most of you are just older than that. And we, we stayed in that same place for over 20 years, waiting for God to fulfill a very simple promise to us, which was, I'm going to send you to the nations. We play the long game. Third thing, if we don't mind pulling that up, I'm going to sprint through this now. Guys, in light of uh, our receiving of the promises of God through faith and patience, and in light of God wanting to mature us, what do we do? And the author is amazingly clear that we cooperate with what God's doing. If you read through this, we'll see. The first thing, as we cooperate with God in the work that He's doing, is from 5.8. We learn. We learn obedience. Just like Jesus did, we give ourselves to learning. We submit ourselves under a teacher. 
We submit ourselves under the teaching of the Holy Spirit, who is in you to teach you all things. We submit to teachers and community. Um, we, we learn compliance. My children are learning compliance slowly but surely. Mercy and Peyton are doing an amazing job now. They're just like, I used to have to like discipline them every night to go to bed. And now they don't go to bed on time. I don't know what I did wrong. I just blew up my own point. No, they are fantastic, but they've learned obedience, compliance, submission in a good way. And if they didn't, they'd still be babies. And it's the same for us. So number one, we learn. That's from 5.8. From 5.14.2, we train and we practice constantly. The Olympics are on. The NBA finals were just on. Those people do not just show up and start doing stuff. They train constantly. They do the same thing over and over and over and over. I won't keep turning. They, guys, excellence in maturity comes through training constantly. Number three, we go on. This is from 6 verse 1. We must move on. We have to leave childish ways behind and go for maturity. What is God calling you to leave behind in order to get into maturity? Is he calling you to leave behind your lack of discipline? Is he calling you to leave behind all your free time to give yourself more to his purposes? Is he calling you to leave behind some of your financial likes and wants, that little cushion, the things you really like, because he wants you to sow and give and learn how to not be selfish in a world that has taught you how to be selfish? Number four, we get this from six. Verse 10, again, I'm sprinting, my apologies. We work. We work. Guys, we work. In response to the work of God in us, we work. We don't just lay back. This is not the ship in Wally where it's just like laying back and Slurpees and TV. This is a life that we live with purpose. We work. We give ourselves. In 610, it says that God is not. Uh, for God is not forgetting your work, the way that you loved and served others. This is what we do and we work. We love and serve others. We pour out our lives for one another and the communities around us. This is how you grow up. If my children don't begin to contribute to the needs of my family, it proves that they are not maturing. Mature children contribute so contribute. Get in. Do stuff. Number five, this comes from verse 12. We imitate others. It says, as we imitate their faith. Guys, we live in an epidemic of separation of generations. We have so much separation in generations. We only have a few of us old guys here. Hey, guys, what's up? Gray hair. I love you. We're together. See, I have some too. Um, but there's not many of us in the room. There are not many of us in this community. Chris and Merrill, Chris and Wendy, Michael, Dan and Susie, Shelly and I, uh, Dave and Becca, there's a few. But guys, we are not an old group of people with a lot of experience in walking with God. But there are a few of us. And what this scripture says is imitate others who've gone before you the way they live their faith. Get in community with people who have gone before you. Learn some stuff from them. Ask questions. How do you do it? Imitate their life. Find out how they became mature the way that they are. Get time. Find out when life is all going downhill for you, what do you do? Get close. 
We don't live close. Our generations are so separated. I wanted to say more about that, but I won't. Number six, hold fast. Cling to it like your life depends on it. Hold fast. Number seven, lay aside every weight and sin and run the dang race. Put down your sin. Lay aside your weights. Have you ever tried to run with weights on? I used to do CrossFit, so unfortunately I do know what that's like, and it's terrible. It's the worst, running with like these kettlebells. And you're like, it's, it's awful. Anyways, lay aside. Th- those are not for the race. The weights are for the training, not for the race. Put the weights aside, and guys, our sin and our distractions weigh us down. Lay them aside and run. Conclusion. Uh, cue the slide. Number one, maturity is God's intention for you. Number two, we inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. Number three, give yourself to cooperating with God in your maturity process. Lamentations was written during the exile of Israel, and it's this book in the Bible that just is a lament. It's a, it's a poem about the destruction of Israel that was precious to the people. And it says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. He's good to those who wait for him with patience. And the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Guys, I want to say what Paul did at the end of his life when he said, I've run the race. I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. Now that I'm middle-aged, these kinds of things start coming to my mind. My mind is now filled with how am I going to finish rather than how am I starting. And guys, I want to run the race. I want to say at the end that I ran it and that I finished it. And I know all of you in your heart of hearts do as well, but it's hard to imagine when you're at the beginning because it's the excitement of the beginning. It's the excitement of the early years. But we have to have those who've gone before us who can say, I've been young, and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Guys, do not give up. Give yourself to maturity and let God do in you that which he wants to do. Cooperate with him, I beg you. You will not regret it. Let's pray. You guys have been uber patient. I'm really thankful. You responded to the word really well by being patient. Why don't you stand? Let's stand. I want to resist the moment to invite everyone to have an instantaneous encounter with God to change you forever, to make you patient and full of faith, because that would be a bit counterintuitive. We're playing a long game. But even though we're playing a long game, this is a lifelong game, where we see the promises of God outworked over time, it doesn't mean that the little encounters here and there aren't super helpful. You know, it's like somebody in the, watching you in a race and they hand you like a cup of water when you need one the most. That's kind of what prayer and ministry times are like. But Tyler's going to lead this, this, he's going to lead us in a response. But instead of asking God to give you like an instantaneous change that will magically make you super mature and patient, why don't you ask God just to 
to see you and help you to see yourself, to pay attention to your own heart. Where am I unwilling to wait? Where have I grown impatient? Uh, where am I lacking faith? And when I say lacking faith, I just mean that total dependence and trust on God, that if it all falls apart, that he is still there keeping you together and keeping it together. Why don't we ask God, Father, we just ask you to search our hearts. Just pray with me. If you don't mind, you could lift your hands just as a surrender. Father, we just ask you to search our hearts. Lord, that you would point out where we have become impatient and lacking faith, where we have become self-sufficient instead of God-sufficient. Because, God, our desire is to be fully useful. God, that we could be fully usable in your hands, that we could become perfect, mature, complete, lacking nothing. And, Father, we want to surrender. We want to cry out to you for help in what is surely in the midst for most of us of really tough times. Hopes deferred. The vision of the future put off by two years of pandemic. Coming into young adulthood with unclear senses of where I belong and what I should be doing and what my life's about. It's like the race has started and all of a sudden a fog has come over the track and I don't even know what lane I'm in anymore. God, help. God, help me to trust you when you say put one foot in front of the other. Son, daughter, run the race. Run the race. Put off your sin and your heavy weights of distraction, your burdens, and run the race.